let's focus on your one thing. Let's get your one product down amazing. And then we will expand from there. So many people have this idea that if they had a product-based business, they had to have these huge collections. They had to have five SKUs of this and three colors of this t-shirt and all of this stuff that it starts to become overwhelming and it's, there's really no place to grow from there. Hi, Offscripters. It's your host, Sewa Ajay Pele, and welcome to episode 66 of the She's Offscript podcast. This is a show where we hear and learn from women who have created unique blueprints for success. My hope is that you'll hear their stories and translate their gems into a unique path for yourself. In today's episode, we meet Alia O'Neill. Alia is the founder and chief designer of The Product Place. Her full-service product development agency helps people get their product ideas out of their heads and into the hands of consumers. Do you know exactly what you're going to make? And are you confident that that thing is going to sell to the audience you already have? So often I see people trying to build a product for an audience that they don't have access to, that they don't understand, that would be an additional challenge for them to get in front of. So we like to start with an audience that you already are speaking to, even if it's in a very small way. Today's episode was recorded at a live online event we had with some of our listeners. Just so you know what to expect, this episode is broken into three parts. First up is my interview with Alia, followed by her product creation workshop. Finally, we had a Q&A session where Alia answered your product creation questions. Before we hear the rest of Alia's story, I would love it if you could subscribe, rate, and review our show on iTunes. This will help to spread the word about our podcast so amazing stories like Alia's can continue to inspire women looking to launch their own off-script journeys. With that, let's go off-script with Alia O'Neill, the founder and chief designer of The Product Place. Alia O'Neill, welcome to She's Off-Script. Thank you for being here today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited. For any of our listeners who hadn't heard of you before or The Product Place, could you share who you are and what you do? Um, my name is Alia O'Neill. I run The Product Place. So we're a product development agency based here in Dallas, Texas. Um, and what we do is we really help people get from idea all the way through and beyond their launch. So what we do in that is we kind of work with them through the product that they want to create um, and kind of stop all of the additional hires that they have to make or the additional resources that they have to bring in. So we'll help them actually launch the product, kind of come up with the entire positioning and the strategy of that product. And then we get them all the way through launch with our brick and mortar fulfillment center. So we have a warehouse here in Dallas where we actually can ship out the products that we help develop. So that was kind of my mission in starting the business was really just to kind of solve for all of these amazing creatives who had great resources and great ideas of how to monetize their audiences, but they really were getting stuck in, in the granular part of, of actually launching a product. Mm, and I can see how that can happen. There are so many steps that people may not end up launching to begin with. Alia, it takes a special kind of person to take the plunge into entrepreneurship. And I wanted to know how your upbringing influenced your outlook on entrepreneurship. It's a really great question. I think I've always been entrepreneurially minded. You know, I grew up in, in Palm Beach, Florida. I was for most of my life, the only person that looked like me and talked like me and thought like me in my, in my town, um, just because predominantly, you know, what the demographics are in, in Palm Beach, which has been made famous by Trump now, but it's not all like that. Um, so I think, you know, I've always was kind of 
on the outside. So I was really involved in leadership roles. Um, even through college, I was really involved in student government and kind of just leadership and organizing. And I think I always looked for opportunities to solve problems that I didn't see being solved in an efficient way. Um, I think a lot of people who have worked with me have described me as like a very global thinker. Um, and I think that kind of has led me to, to ultimately find the, the ultimate problem that I wanted to solve that really aligned with what I was interested in, which is like really physical stuff that you can touch and feel. And I just really realized that nobody was, was making it happen easy and it really didn't need to be that difficult. So kind of been like a long journey, but overall, I think I've always kind of been in the space of problem solving and that's ultimately what entrepreneurship is. Absolutely. Although you seem to be entrepreneurial minded, you didn't go straight into entrepreneurship. And for you, I think in 2019, you decided to leave what you consider to be a dream job to focus on growing your own business. So what was that dream job for you? And more specifically, why did you decide to make that leap? I did. I love the dream job. Um, I know there's a lot of people that kind of look at the position I'm in and are like, you made it. Um, but yeah, so just for some context, I started off at about like 15, 16. I had to do an internship for the program that I was in in my high school. So I started off doing apparel construction, pattern design, and interning with a fashion house that was local to my area. So I got a lot of experience really early on in the actual production of apparel and physical goods in that role. Um, and that kind of, I, I was in that for about 10 years. So I started when I was 16, all the way through college, kind of came back, worked there, took over production um, for a few years, and then made it to my, my next league, my next jump, which was Neiman Marcus. So I started working um, there in the merchant, in a merchant role. So I was an assistant buyer there and had the pleasure of being in the, in the couture office. So buying all the Dolce and the Gucci and Chanel, not Chanel, Chanel wasn't in our office, but Chloe. Um, so I think that's kind of what I, I capstone as, you know, the dream role for people who are in fashion is, is to make it to that, to that pinnacle of, of being in those buying offices, setting those trends, because a lot of that happens really in the merchandising. You know, we all love kind of watching fashion shows, but it's, it's truly the merchants who kind of dictate what trickles down into the mainstream and what we can all buy. So um, I was in that role for, for about two and a half years and absolutely loved it. But I think I had already previously in my life so early had already gotten bitten by the, the development bug. Um, I had already been used to being on the other side of things, actually making the product. And I think it was a really, it was a challenging jump for me to, to just be on the buying side, right? Mm. Um, I had already fallen in love with the process of making things and, and I kind of missed that. So in missing it, I did what I'm sure all entrepreneurial minded people do is, you know, we, we kind of leave that safety, right? We leave that, um, that kind of cocoon of if I stay here, I'll do great here. Mm -hmm. Um, but if I leave, I can really solve for a problem. And, and that's how the product place was born is me just really wanting to get back to, to the making of things. So questions that need answering. Did you get amazing deals for yourself when you worked at Neiman's? Because I feel like I would get addicted. Neiman's had a really great, um, they have a really great uh, employee discount. Um, it's, it's no secret. So I feel like I can share that. 
Um, but for me, I was, I was in an office with such high level fashion, right? So at that point, that also kind of starts to skew what you want to bring home. Mm-hmm. I was looking at, you know, Dolce stuff all the time. So that became my norm. And after that, it is really hard to kind of find things in your price range that kind of answer the, well, this will do. Um, so I actually was, I was pretty frugal while I was there. I, I kind of, I worked and I, I didn't give them too much of my paycheck back. <laughs> Good for you. Because this is, that is actually some, a pivot that's difficult to make when you, well, at least for me, it had to be intentional when you move into being an entrepreneur is Sure, you could go get a pair of designer shoes and a designer purse, but you need to pay rent, you need to pay employees, you know? So you got to think about what the long-term goal is as opposed to what looks cute on you today. So that was a little bit of an aside, but so now you have decided to make the leap into full-time entrepreneurship. What boxes did you need to check for yourself in order to be comfortable with making that switch? Yeah, so I think I think it's 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 ongoing, right? It, it's an evergreen transition. Um, that's the way that I always kind of like advise anybody who comes to me and you know sees me on social is like, oh, you did it. I'm like, mm. it's it's not just one day you're working in a nine to five and the next day you know you're not and and you're you're walking into your own office and and all of that. So I definitely always advise people like find something that you can transition with. So it was actually. Once I kind of knew that I probably was going to be leaving um, because I did miss miss the development, I, I went out and I found a remote job. So I found a role that really aligned and allowed me to kind of have some flexibility. Um, mm. And I was doing both at the same time for Smart. about six months. Um, and I still work with that client now. Um, a portion of that business that we do is through the product place. I was able to kind of bring that, that relationship along with me, but I wouldn't have had that opportunity had I not started um, kind of doing, living in both worlds, kind of preparing yourself. I think something people don't realize is like entrepreneurship takes a lot of organization mm-hmm. um, and, and having a remote position, if you can, is, is a great way to kind of segue and start that journey for yourself because those are skills that you need to learn like the ultimate time management task, having two, two jobs that are almost full-time essentially. Um, and it's, it's the ultimate test of, is this something that I really want? Do I really mm-hmm. want entrepreneurship? Because this is what it's going to feel like. You're going to be doing a ton of different things all the time. Mm. So before then you knew that you wanted to dive headfirst and have the product place be your bread and butter. I know you ran two other businesses. So could you share what they were and how ultimately you picked which one you were going to focus on? So I think that the answer is really like self-awareness, right? Um, I was dipping my toe in a lot. So now looking back on it, it's hilarious because I don't know how I thought that that was what I wanted to do. Um, But I had one business that was, you know, blogging about blogging. I had started so many blogs in the past that I was like, I can teach somebody how to do this. I'm going to make a business. Like this is, this is the skill set I have to share. Again, completely ignoring the fact that I had 12 years of product development experience under my belt and was just coming out of, out of this behemoth of, of Neiman Marcus and all of the skill sets that I took up there. Um, so that was one. I was blogging about blogging. That was one business. Um, and then I kind of got closer to where I am now with the product place, which is a business that I have and it still operates functionally on the back end in some ways, which is, um, brand new brand. So brand new brand was really all about me helping people who were in nine to fives, um, 
you know, make that transition transition and build personal brands for themselves so that they have the option to see if entrepreneurship is right for them. Mm. Um, and that's still like a mission that I'm passionate about as well. But I think now that I've kind of leaned back into what I do best, I can kind of see the transition. And that's, that's something that I always tell people too. Like, if you're going to go for it, you're going to have three businesses that, that lived and died before you get to the final one. So please do not be precious about the process. Um, you're, you're going to kill things. You're going to kill your darlings. I feel like the best example of that I've come across is a couple episodes ago, we had Jordan Gill on the show who talked about 26 different programs she had tried and three different names her business had gone through mm-hmm. um, before she reached the point she is at now and she's fairly successful. So you have to get comfortable with the process, as you said, of trying, failing, trying, failing before you take all those lessons learned and combine them into something that ultimately works well for you. Yeah, exactly. I think um, I think that's that's the most important thing is you're not going to get it right on the first try. And if you did, you probably waited too late to launch exactly. the other side of things too. So yeah, it, it was it was a journey for me over the past year, but um, we've, we've settled in and, and this is kind of I say that now, but this is this is my forever for the time being. We just got a, a, an office and some some physical space, so that creates some permanence too. I saw that. Congratulations on launching the warehouse space. It yeah, looks beautiful excited. from the images I've seen. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, we'll we'll do a tour once um, the situation alleviates, and you can all yeah around again. <laughs> You know, when I do hear about businesses opening physical locations, I'm excited about the growth. But at the same time, I also think about the responsibility that comes with that decision. And so what was the process like for you first with getting financing and then the build out of the space? Yeah, so I'll touch on it. Um, the first thing that the, the, the approach that we took was that we didn't we didn't get any financing. We went into it as as green and as from the start our capital as we could. So that also you know narrowed down the options um, as far as like what type of investment we were going to make and where we were going to end up. We we looked on the market for about eight months before we settled on on where our home was going to be, and I think that gave us enough you know comfort to know that we understood the market and we truly understood what we could afford or what we wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that, that that's that's kind of the, the route I would advise people to take is is if you can, you know, look at the business that you're actually doing, look at what your net profits actually are, and then look at what physical space, how that could achieve more growth for you as opposed to, you know, the other way around, which I think is what people do a lot of the times is they say, well, if I have an office now, I'm more legitimized and now everything is going to change and I'm going to get so much business it's not going to be that fast of a switch. That's a, that's a three to five year plan to kind of see that type of growth. So I definitely, I went that way where, where we didn't, we didn't take any investment for this piece. Um, but yeah, it is a, it is a lot of responsibility. Um, it's, it's kind of like the ultimate permanent employee that you have to maintain. And, you know, I'm not paying health insurance for the space, but we've got business insurance and you have mm-hmm. workers comp and all of that type of stuff. So it's definitely needs to be, thought through just like if you were hiring, you know, a high level employee for your company that you knew that salary was going to be going out every month and everything that went with it. So when you think about now having to maintain a level of growth that sustains that investment that you've made in a physical property, 
how do you approach marketing and business development for a business like yours? Um, I think I don't think it's changed much. So for us, the, the physical space is really there to facilitate and to support the business that we already have. So I got the space because I was in I was in a position to use that space to support the clients I was already working with. So as opposed to kind of working with somebody um, and getting them from idea, now they're launched, I was kind of looking at it and being like, well, what else do they need? Mm-hmm. For the most part, 90% of the people I worked with really needed a solution of how am I going to get all of this product that I just made actually to the doors of the people who, who are going to be buying it from me. And the solution for me then um, was to get, was to handle that for them, was to get a physical space, was to figure out the logistics side of the business, which I had done a little bit of in, in my past roles as well. Um, and, and so, yeah, so the, the space really answered a question as opposed to, to just being nice to have. Mm-hmm. Aside from the space, how are you able to get clients as a business? I think for the most part, a lot of what's come through to us are people who have been like, oh my God, I've been looking for this forever. Um, and by that, I mean that, you know, that's, that's, I'm lucky and it's a blessing, but I think what we've been able to do at the product place is give a one-stop solution to mm-hmm. problems and, and things that people, the clients were already building up. So they were already thinking to themselves, all right, I have this product that I want to make and I know I'm going to need a Shopify store and I know I'm going to need social media and I know I'm going to need product photography and I know I'm going to need branding. I know I'm going to need packaging. All mm-hmm. of those elements, um, I could go on and on, I'm sure as you guys have seen, but all of those little elements, you know, people were already sourcing them. What we were able to do is just say, it's a one stop. You come mm-hmm. with us and we take you all the way through. Um, so to answer your question, as far as like, how are we getting new clients? It's really looking at where people are hanging out that are looking for product photography. Where are people hanging out that are looking for packaging options? Mm -hmm. We're able to find them in those silos and then bring them all together and offer a a really clean solution to, to something that they might not have even thought of as an issue before, but we can kind of see ahead for them. And that's really been the the lack of a better word, the closer for us um, in all of our conversations that we've had is just because we are able to kind of see the big picture and Mm -hmm. see, okay, you're not even thinking about what you're going to do for your fulfillment yet. This is what's coming next for you in three months and kind of the light bulb goes on and, and that's been good. So, but we're still new. So I think, I think as far as like marketing, all of that will evolve and, and change and positioning, especially in the world as it is now, I think there's a lot of, a lot of messaging that will, that will alter and everything. Yeah. So just speaking about the world as it is now, um, man, who could have imagined that a couple weeks after you guys opened your physical space, there would be a shelter in place order. So how is the current environment impacting you as a business owner? Well, I think that's, um, I think we've, I've kind of done my homework, you know, um, kind of what I was mentioning before, when I, before I made the leap out of my nine to five into building a business, I kind of had already had that little in between, you know, space where I was working from home. So that was a skill set that I had had. Mm-hmm. And like I said, you know, the, the physical part of the office was always an add on. It was always a nice to have. So it actually hasn't impacted my day-to-day business because 90% of what I do is truly in-depth project management. Um, and that's based off of really great relationships that I've had over the years. 
So it's really just a lot of conversations and, and, and tracking of things, which it would be difficult to do it from home had I not already been doing it for a year. So I think exactly. that's, if that can be a takeaway for anybody, it's just, you know, put yourself in the most difficult situation when you're starting your business, do it the hardest way you possibly can first, and then start to make it easier on yourself. And I think that that's what can get a little backwards sometimes. Mm, I like that. Do you have any other advice for fellow business owners who are just still feeling shell-shocked by how rapidly the situation has, has developed? I think it's really just time to accept it. I think this is like a really awesome time to, to be the leader in your space and to, to stand up tall and kind of start to show the way for, for other people. You know, if you have a service-based business, um, a great opportunity you have is just to kind of have a backup plan when you are doing your pitching and, and speak to the elephant in the room mm-hmm. um, and say, you know, that way you're not like losing business on it, but really be able to, to guide your clients through this and show them that you're the leader and you understand what's happening in the market and this is your solution. Um, I think it's one thing to talk about it, but it's another thing to, in that same conversation, present them with an alternative case to, to be able to, to save some of that business and, and, and stay steady through this time. Yeah, mm-hmm. just being a leader, I think, I think now you just have to really have a clear voice and you have to understand what your business is and the problem you solve. And if you can do that, you'll be okay. Mm, I like that. So I know a lot of people are on here to hear about your bread and butter, which is helping people create and launch their physical products. So for anyone here live with us or listening later that has been dreaming about creating this product, let me just give you the floor to walk us through how they can make it happen. Yeah, so um, I'll go ahead and start sharing my screen just for, for those of us that are on live and um, I'll be walking through all of, the, all of the steps as well. So we do it through a process we call the Power Product Launch. So this was really the basis of what I was working with and how I was launching all of these product lines, like not only in my career past, but since I've started the product place. So I kind of found this system that worked, which is like, let's focus on your one thing. Let's get your one product down, amazing, and then we will expand from there. And the reason why I did that is because so many people had this idea that if they had a product-based business, they had to have these huge collections, right? They had to have five SKUs of this and three colors of this t-shirt and all of this stuff that it starts to become overwhelming and it's, there's really no place to grow from there. So we kind of launched this method, um, which is just the power product. And that's a way that we can kind of streamline and focus and get developed really quickly and really efficiently. Um, so for anyone who's joining us now, and, and if you're listening, I'm kind of just going to walk through a little bit of an experiment with you guys. So I just want you to choose one of the ideas, right? So choose the idea that's like the freshest in your mind right now. Um, if you've ever thought about product-based businesses, you definitely will go to sleep and be like, this is a great new one. Pick one. Um, and then we're going to kind of, we're going to kind of work through it. Um, how I would with, with one of my clients and somebody that came through the podcast. Um, so for that one idea, just kind of envision how it would look on a shelf, right? So picture it for sale um, in a store, in a brick and mortar store, picture it on an online shop page. How, how does it actually look? What does the packaging look like? What does is, what is the coloring look like? Is it a big product, or a small product? Is it soft goods? Is it hard? Kind of get an idea of, of how it's going to be presented. And then just think to yourself, what's your biggest hurdle to getting it on that exact shelf? 
start there. Um, that's like the number one, the takeaway that, that you'll get through this entire thing. I'm just like, just kind of walk through some stuff is, is really you have to just start with what your biggest hurdle is and trust yourself that you'll be able to either research, figure it out, or find a resource that's going to be able to get you the rest of the way, right? So this is what we call our product launch cycle. This is what we actually do within the business, behind the scenes. Um, I'm giving it to you guys here because I know that resources on product development can be a little overwhelming. So we've tried to simplify it as much as possible, right? So brand strategy, um, I'll walk through what's included in this, but this is where we start with everybody. There's a lot more to building products than just building the actual thing that is going to be sold. There's a lot more to actually launching products. And we start with brand strategy. After brand strategy, we move into the actual product and packaging development. After that, we go into positioning. And there's a reason why, you know, we kind of do it in a certain order, which I'll, I'll walk through with you guys as well. And then lastly, we'll go through logistics and fulfillment. And logistics and fulfillment is really the, the number one thing that I see people skip out on thinking about because um, they're so excited to build the thing and just to be done with it that they forget that ultimately you're building a business and the business you're building is going to need management and long-term support. So we'll definitely walk through some of those areas as well. So brand strategy, this is where we start. Um, and there's three main questions that we want to ask yourself. So in each of these questions, I'll kind of give you a, a good, medium, and worst scenario. And you can kind of just like write down on your scratch piece of paper when you get a chance. Just kind of grade yourself in like a green to red and see where you kind of line up. So what we'll do is um, for validation, we walk through a process called launch it or leave it. So this is a four week long process that we do over the product place. But for you guys, the main thing that I want you to take away is, do you know exactly what you're gonna make? That's question number one. And are you confident that that thing is going to sell to the audience you already have? So often I see people kind of trying to build a product for an audience that they don't have access to, that they don't understand, that would be an, an additional challenge for them to get in front of. So we like to start with power product with an audience that you already are speaking to, even if it's in a very small way. Let's start validating product ideas in that space. And then competitive analysis. This is something else that, you know, so often gets ignored, but is such an important part of brand strategy. So for competitive analysis, you know, you really think through, do you know who you're going to be competing against? So not just do you know who the huge players are. If you want to be in athleisure, not just, yeah, we're going to compete against Adidas. We're going to compete against Fenty because ultimately you're not going to compete against them on day one. So it's important to know who are the players that are super aligned to your product and where it's going to be on day one of your launch, not day 365. So that's a question you guys can ask yourself as well too. So for validation, just kind of give yourself a green if you know exactly what product you want to meet and you're very confident that if you had it today, someone on your list could sell it. You could sell it to somebody on your audience. For competitive analysis, give yourself a green if you're really 100% sure that you know exactly who you're going to compete against. And then brand identity. This is the one everybody loves. This is the pretty logos and colors and fonts and all of that fun stuff that everybody likes to start with with product development. 
We also start there, but we make sure that we validated the idea and we know what your competitors are doing before we start making logos. Hear me when I say this. Before you start making a logo, know who you're competing against and be confident that you can actually sell your product to an audience that you already have. So that's brand strategy. That's our step one. Next, we go into product and packaging development. So this is like the big meat of what you would come to a product development agency for, right? This is us using our resources to be able to, to make those introductions and have those conversations. Um, and if you're doing this, you know, outside of an agency format, this is really the research heavy part for you guys. So this is the part where you need to get into Google page 45 on your search and find these manufacturers and find these developers that actually offer the creation of the product that you're thinking of. So an example, if you're thinking of doing like baseball hats or something like that, you know, your research is going to be in depth and trying to find somebody that has, you know, the, the fabrication that you like that can do embroidery the way you want it to do. Um, there's a lot of steps into actually creating the product and the, and the actual packaging that goes with it. So some questions I want you guys to ask yourself are, it's definitely the pricing, right? So we use a pricing calculator within the business, but it's really just a matter of, can you assess what your costs are? So your actual cost of your goods against how much you want to sell, sell them for. So a lot of times I see people developing products and then finish finding the pricing on the back end. And this is where I think a lot of people are losing out on, on a great amount of capital and a great amount of investment opportunity because they're developing products that are outside of their realm of possibility. They're not going to be able to sustain the actual reorders and the fulfillment of these goods because they're building something that's too expensive for them to have ownership of. So what we do is we kind of break it down by saying, how much money does you want your business to make? What type of budget does that give you? And how many pieces of the inventory can you actually afford to create? If the answer is you can afford to create 50 of them, that's perfectly fine. That just gives us a better idea of what you need to do and what kind of product you need to be able to create to reach your goals. And that's ultimately what product development about is about, right? It's about creating an actual business that works and that moves product. Um, and so that's why we focus on, on pricing. So if you're doing a little exercise at home, you know, if you have a really clear understanding of what your exact budget is to develop, and then give yourself a green, and if not, you can kind of mark yourself in red for this area as something for you to go back and research on later on. Um, sourcing. So a big question to ask yourself is, you know, are you going to manufacture something completely from scratch? I see this a lot with apparel. Um, so in the product place, we do work with brands who are launching like complete fashion lines, like couture level design, completely sketched. We're making patterns. We've got technical designers, we're finding factories, the whole thing. And then there's also an opportunity where you can kind of private label a product. So you can find somebody who's already creating something that's very like what you want to bring to market. And then you can actually work with them to, to fine tune that piece and make it a little bit more close to home of what you want to develop. So in sourcing, that's really where you would kind of start to outline and, and build up those relationships. And then finally, my favorite part of, of product and packaging development is definitely packaging options. 
So I think it's such a missed opportunity with new brands to leave the packaging as an afterthought. So what I like to do is I like to really work with my clients and making sure that I know that their brands are going to have amazing unboxing experiences from day one. So regardless of, you know, how much money we invested in the actual product, I want to make sure that your product looks hands down unstoppable in the packaging and the actual delivery of that good. So we obviously live in a very digital world right now where, you know, everybody's on Instagram and everything and you're, you're seeing all these products and all of these little like beauty companies that are like popping up and everything. So what I like to do is encourage people who are doing product-based businesses for the first time to really not forget about your packaging and how it's going to feel when it arrives to their front door. That's such a missed opportunity to, to really get a lot of word of mouth and not really get a lot of like free advertising. So positioning, this is again, kind of going back a little bit to the fun stuff, um, but it's still vitally important to actually launching a product-based business, right? So in positioning, the questions you need to ask yourself on day one, before you make any investment on product is, are you going to be able to afford and budget for photography? So actual studio grade photography that is going to be able to be on your online store, that's going to be able to be on social media, that you're going to be able to put in a press kit um, to actually get word of mouth out there about your product. So again, you know, you have to be realistic about what your budget is, but there are some things that need to be built into that budget. And photography is definitely one of them. So getting your product actually shot by a professional is a huge part of the positioning. So you can kind of get your brand identity further clarified. After that, online store. This is some part of, you know, having a product-based business in today that you, you really can't ignore. Um, having an online store and being able to get it functioning and also looking great in a way that supports the product, that supports the kind of the business that you want to keep driving. You know, is this a brand that you want to start pumping out 50 orders a day? Or is this a higher level luxury piece that you're okay if you only move three products a week? but the price point and the positioning kind of supports and allows you to do that. So photography and online store are definitely two parts of positioning that I think get overlooked at, as final, final thoughts, but it really needs to be part of the process ongoing. And then finally, site copy and product descriptions. This is something that you should be working on as soon as you've gotten your identity down. You know, what are you about? What, do you, what kind of language do you want to see on their homepage? What kind of language do you want to see on your about page and your contact page? And finally, like, how are you going to actually describe that product? There are people who solely for the past 20 years have studied product descriptions and how product descriptions drive sales. So that's an entire business and industry in and of itself. And it's really not something that you can ignore if you want to get into the product-based business. So in positioning, that's what we kind of focus on photography, online sales, site copy, and, and those product descriptions. And then finally, the scariest, if not the most boring one, depending on who you ask, but the actual logistics and fulfillment of your business. So there are a lot of people that have product-based businesses that fill that product. Um, I'll define fulfillment. So fulfillment, meaning that Sally buys your skincare, on your online Shopify store and she needs to get an email saying that her payment was confirmed 
Here is her tracking number. It will be there then. She needs to know that it's getting automatically packaged up and it's getting to her door. That all doesn't happen by accident. That is a very in-depth process of getting those systems up and running. And that is the last leg of, of kind of launching a product-based business. So in that, some things that you can ask yourself are, you know, do you have experience managing inventory? Um, are you going to do it yourself? Or are you going to work with a fulfillment partner? There are a lot of boutique fulfillments um, nationwide and also internationally, but it's definitely a question that you have to ask yourself. Do you want your goods at home with you in the garage? Do you have five hours a week to be printing this, these labels and packaging this stuff up and writing handwritten notes for your first 50 orders? Um, if you don't, now is the time to think about it because all of this goes into owning and managing successfully a product-based business. After you launch, there's also gonna be e-commerce strategies. You're, gonna, you're a business owner now. You did it. Congrats, you've launched. Um, but you have to know, you know the trends. How are people talking about products online today? How are people actually getting sales to transact? Besides just looking at other people's Instagrams and trying to replicate their captions, you have to understand the sales psychology behind those conversations and why they're saying certain things when and why, you know, markdown cadence is something we get into, which I won't bore you guys, but just understanding like why you need to mark things down, meaning have a sale at certain points of the year. You know, it's not just Black Friday. There's huge opportunities that you can set up for your business once you start to understand e-commerce strategies. And then finally, which is really timely right now, um, wholesale strategies. A lot of people don't think about the opportunity to put their products in brick and mortars. Um, but right now, and I'll, I'll go into it in a little bit in a second as well, there's a huge opportunity for, for wholesale business as well. So wholesale meaning that um, Sally's Corner Store Boutique is gonna buy 50 pieces of your product and now you've just made one sale and moved 50 units of your good. So that's definitely an opportunity that has a completely different tone and voice of, of how you would kind of sell online, but it's definitely a vital part of fulfillment and the actual ongoing management of your business. So those are five areas, it's uh, four areas, sorry. So it's really the brand strategy, getting through the actual product and development, making those researching and making those um, connections, going through your positioning, and then finally your logistics and fulfillment. And what I wanted to share with you guys today is just some quick opportunities that I'm seeing in the market right now. So Amazon's, the Amazon effect. So the downturn of Amazon really um, is just that we all got so used to two-day shipping, free overnight shipping. Get to your door right now. If you order it today, I will be at your door in 15 minutes. And I think what we're going to see is, is really that the playing field is going to even out a little bit, right? Because all of a sudden, Amazon might not be able to start fulfilling that fast. There's going to be new mandates. There's going to be new situations. There's going to be new um, quarantine effects that are going to happen for these fulfillment agencies that are that large, right? So the playing field is going to even out a little bit. People are going to start to get used to the fact that online ordering is going to be huge again um, and it's not going to all be overnight delivery or one day delivery or two day delivery longer delivery times are going to start to kind of be the new normal again another thing that we're seeing is that digital advertising has really started to stabilize so the heavy hitters the people who are spending like millions of dollars retargeting they're going to 
not millions of dollars in advertising are actually going to start to do more retargeting because what they're going to do is they're going to try to start to just retain the customers they already have. Because we know that it's less expensive to retain a customer than it is to gain a new customer. So that gives you guys an opportunity if you're new to a product-based business to actually start doing some online advertising because you're not going to have to compete with all of these big players who are trying to gain all of the market share. They're just going to be going after getting the people who have already bought from them to buy from them again. And that's not where you're going to be at yet. A third opportunity that you guys have right now is really like domestic development. Domestic development is a lot more um, economically efficient. And it's also better for new business owners because you're usually able to accommodate a smaller minimum order quantity. So this is something that we're really seeing in the business right now where I'm able to kind of launch brands with only like 50 to 500 units, which was pretty much unheard of uh, about six months ago because the business was booming so much and so much international development was happening. So with domestic development, we're definitely going to start to see kind of a trend back to these smaller order quantities, which are a great opportunity if you're, if you're starting out with this type of business. And then finally, you know, just to be realistic, in the next 12 to 18 months, a lot is going to change in the world. And I think now is really the time where a lot of product leaders are going to start to show up. There's going to be a lot of new thought thought leaders that are going to be happening. And that goes the same for products as well. People are going to be looking for new things. People are going to be looking to answer new and different types of questions. And I think just as much as people are going to start to become new types of influencers, products are going to start to pop up that are really influencing and, and changing the market in a different way. Um, and I think in the next 12 to 18 months, we'll see a lot of new products that have really taken a good amount of product share that, are, that were born in this this six month time when, when everything is happening now with COVID. So definitely just wanted to share those with you guys. I'm um, just going to give you something a little bit different to think about and how it's not all bad out there, um, but it's definitely, there's definitely some really cool opportunities. Wow. You've given us so much to think about. Thank you, Alia. I know we've already had a lot of questions out there, so let's dive right into them from the audience. You're getting a little bit of hometown love from Palm Beach, Florida. Alex has a couple questions. What is the biggest hurdle you see for people who are doing this for the first time? And what's the easiest product to launch? Um, hi, Alex. I will start with what's the easiest product to launch. I think the easiest product to launch is the product that you know you can make a return on, right? So if you feel more confident that you're going to be able to sell it, I think that's where you should start. Um, the question I'd ask yourself is, you know, like I mentioned before, what is your audience already looking to you for? So if you're a beauty or a skincare influencer, I would highly encourage you to launch the one product that nobody else that you're doing these advertisements for have gotten right. That's going to give you so much room to play in the market and so much authority to actually make a change and start seeing some real dollars back from your investment in product development, right? So if you're someone who you're constantly doing, you know, skincare tutorials and reviews, but no one's gotten a certain type of serum, right? That's the product that you should be doing because that's a product that you're going to be really passionate about and that you can align with all of your other brands that you've been reviewing and, and, and kind of start to make an impact there. Um, what's the biggest hurdle I see for people doing this the first time? The biggest hurdle I think is only thinking about the product. Um, I've probably said product 
90 times on this call. So obviously I love products, but I think people forget that you're really launching a business. Um, I think this gets talked a lot more about with people trying to do coaching businesses or, you know, trying to build their own courses online. Then you think about all the marketing and all the pieces that you need to put together to make this thing live. But with products, people tend to just say, well, if I make it, they will come. There's a lot that you need to do in order to set that product up for success and to see that success through for, for the next three to five years until you have your next great idea, which is usually the cadence of it. Um, so the biggest hurdle I think is people just kind of ignoring or putting on the back burner that positioning piece, getting their photography right, getting their marketing done right, understanding how they're going to actually fulfill orders, understanding what they're going to ship their product in, and those types of packaging. So it's kind of the pieces around your actual product that you're trying to sell. Mm, very insightful there. I think you're going to have people listening to this episode over and over just to understand, are they ready to really launch? Um, the next question we have here, we're getting some love from Boston, Massachusetts. So either Devon or David. Sorry, not sure how to pronounce the name, but what is the investment for starting to sell products? So That's a really good question. That's something I've worked on um, really well. I kind of started to see this sweet spot where people were, I was seeing people lease anywhere from 10 to 25K and then finally come to us. And I was like, what has happened here? What are, what are we doing here? Um, the sweet spot I try to live in is between about 1700 to like no more than like $5,000 for your first product launch. Um, and that's including everything. So I, I tried to work with people who are starting at the very beginning with like slim budgets and saying like, okay, if we can get to a point where we can get between like a thousand to like $1,700 to get you some inventory, some packaging, um, and a few of the bigger components that you're gonna need to have like a Shopify website, I think that's the smarter way to go. Really tune in and make sure that the product you're gonna be developing and spending all this time on is something that you feel confident you can sell and then work for work towards a very limited amount of inventory and run it as a test. Because as we talked about at the beginning of today's call, you're gonna change your mind like three to five times. And I hate to see people make these major investments in products knowing that they're not even probably at the idea that they really want to be selling um, or that they're going to finalize in selling. So I would say be ready to, to invest at least 1000 to 1700 for your very first product and get your inventory count as low as you can through negotiation and, and through doing a lot of research. Alia, I appreciate you saying that because that's a true sign of partnership in that you're not trying to get people to spend as much money upfront as possible. And then you kind of pump them and leave them, but you're letting them know you got to be in this for the long haul. Maybe you will spend 1700 with me and then no more when you decide this isn't for you, but at least there will be no hard feelings when that process is over versus someone who comes and drops 50 grand if they have that to spend. And then at the end of a year or two, they just have nothing to show for that investment. So I really appreciate you saying that. Yeah. And I think, I think it goes both ways. I think there's a threshold where you have to be willing to, to put some skin in the game too. You know, product-based businesses isn't something that you can be like, all right, I'm going to give it 50 bucks and I'm going to see if I make $70. Like 
No, this business does take some investment in terms of like your your energy and, and your effort and really thinking through what you want to make. But I always stop people and my red flag is people who are like, I've got a quarter million dollars. I'm like, love it. Love to hear it. Let's talk about actually what makes sense for you to sell. And let's make sure that that is, that's actually um, going to give you a return on it. Sounds good. So Shelby, now for your question, she's asking, where do I start? So I don't know if Alia has sold you on her services or you're trying to start for yourself, but the question is, where do I start? Where do you start? So you start with figuring out what you can move the easiest. Um, and like I said, so in, in those four steps, that is the process that I walk through. We do have over at the product place, we have a six month accelerator program for anybody who's thinking of just like needing a little bit more support and we need to learn how to actually research, research and, and kind of source these ideas and put all the pieces together. We do have a program, um, it's called Power Product that walks you through all, all of these elements. Um, yeah, I think you just start really in, in getting confident that you have found something that an audience you already have, not your dream audience you'd like to have in 10 years, an audience you already have needs right now. You can find a problem to solve for people that you're already talking to regularly, that's that's where you start. So let me push that a little bit. What if you don't have an audience? What if you're starting from scratch and you have noticed that there is some sort of a gap and your product is gonna fill it? What do you do then? Yeah, so I think when I say audience, it doesn't have to be you know like 10,000 followers on Instagram, right? Um, Audience can also be the, the people who you feel you're most adjacent to that your problem solves. So if you take it as, you know, I'm somebody, Sally is somebody who, you know, watches a lot of makeup tutorials, like her audience, the realm that's around her or other people that are also reviewing makeup and kind of in that world of figuring out exactly like what the best products are. Um, and for her, her audience, even if she doesn't have, isn't speaking to a lot of people on a day-to-day basis, her audience is really her peers who are also asking that same question. Um, so I guess that's a, that's another good way that you can put it as well too. So when you're validating your product idea, either make sure that the people you talk to on a day-to-day basis get it, or the people who would also be asking the same question like your solution to that product. Got it. Got it. I know you gave us a lot to think about. So for anyone that wants to follow up with you and learn more about the product creation process or just follow your journey, where can they find you? Yeah. So um, we're over on Instagram. You can find us Alia M. O'Neill, or also you can follow the product place, which is the product place HQ. Um, and then all of our goodies, all of our process and, and kind of a little bit more about the agency and what we do is over at the product com. So pretty, pretty straightforward. Um, we bounce around a lot, but productface.com is, is our home and that's where you can find out more about, about joining us for, for our accelerator to kind of get your product launched in the next six months so you can start selling quicker. Okay. I appreciate that. I'm so glad you made it to the end of today's episode. If you enjoyed the episode, please go on iTunes and leave us a five-star rating and write us a review. As always, don't forget to share this episode with your friends, family, colleagues, anyone who cares to listen. We'll talk to you next time.